listening to the White Oak Houston podcast, the official podcast of White Oak Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. White Oak exists to help people come alive to the wonder of the gospel and fully follow Jesus. For more information, please visit us online at whiteoakchurch.net. going through verse 8 this morning. We are continuing on in a series uh, we're calling Better Together, in which we're exploring the different ways that community grows us in the Lord. And so we're continuing on in Romans chapter 12 this morning. So if you wouldn't mind opening up there, if you're new or visiting, or if you don't have a Bible this morning, we'll have the words on the screen as well. So this is what Paul says in verse 3 of Romans 12. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Now having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, and the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Amen. This is the word of God in our lives. Well, like I said, I want to welcome you this morning to the White Oak Faith family. My name is James Yandel. I'm the discipleship pastor here at this church. And if you are new or visiting with us, I want to give you a special welcome this morning. I really hope that my message today and that the word today will speak to you in your life and that it will help you find God and follow God no matter where you're at. But for all of us, I do have a question this morning. And that question is, how good are you at identifying patterns? I want to take us back this morning to high school, and I'm going to take us back to some of the tests that we took in high school, and to a particular type of problem that you may remember from high school. So in this particular problem, you were given a sequence of numbers, or of images, and you had to guess what comes next in the sequence. You remember these uh, from high school? For some of you, depending on your personality, you either loved these or you hated these, but I think we're smart people in here. So I've got a few of these that I want us to do together as a church. I think that we're intelligent. So I want us to flex our intelligence muscle this morning. And the first one should be easy to spot. I'll throw it up on the screen. And uh, this one is 4, 8, 16, 32, 64. So I don't want you to say anything yet. I want you to think about what is the pattern in these numbers. And I want you to try to guess which number comes next. So take about five seconds Think about it. Don't say it out loud. All right. So what is the next number in the series? Shout it out. 128 is the next number in the series. So if you didn't get it, this one, uh, you, you multiply each number by two, right? Four times two is eight. Eight times two is 16, so forth and so forth. So 128 is the next answer. All right. So that one is pretty easy. How about this one? Two, three, five, seven, 11, 13, 17, 19. Take a second to think about it. What's the relationship between these numbers? I'll give you about five seconds. All right, what, com- what number comes next in the series? 
23. All right, so I didn't get this one. Uh, I forgot math, apparently. Um, but these are prime numbers, and prime numbers can only be divided by themselves and the number one, right? So these are all prime numbers. 23 is the next one. All right, how about this? I'm going to switch it up a little bit. But in this one, you have a series of pictures on the top row, and you have to guess which one comes next in the series. And so I want you to think about this. Find the pattern in the pictures, and then I want you... Um, to shout it out when I tell you to do it. So take a few seconds to think about that. Some relationship between these shapes. All right, so what's the answer to this one? Shout it out. The answer is A. I'll have to be honest, I did not get this one. Um, But in this one, you'll see the first one has three sides. The second one has four sides. The third one has five. So naturally, the next one would have six sides. It would be a hexagon. All right, so I saved the, the hardest one, or what I believe the hardest one is for last. So we'll go to this one. You'll see three pictures at the top of the, in the top box, and you have to guess which picture comes next in the sequence of pictures. So take a couple of seconds and think about this. And surprise, surprise, I didn't get this one either. I'm not very smart, apparently, but uh, think about it for a second. All right, so what is the answer to this one? Shout it out. The answer to this one is A, actually. You'll notice the first arrow alternates between pointing up and pointing down and then pointing up. So the next one, it would point down. And then the other arrow changes at 45 degree angles in each picture, right? So, so you guys got it. Don't worry, I'm not going to make you do any more problems. That's all the ones I have this morning. But I do bring that up because I want you guys to recognize something in each of these pictures. In each of these problems, there's a pattern, right? And you cannot guess the next number until you know the pattern. Patterns dominate math. I I was even doing a little research for the sermon, and I heard a mathematician say that math is the study of patterns. And in fact, if you can recognize patterns in numbers and in multiplication and different things like that, then you really can do math really well. That's why I cannot do math really well, because I cannot identify those patterns. But patterns dominate math. But they don't just dominate math. They dominate nature as well. You ever notice that there are patterns in nature? There are spirals everywhere. Think about it. There are spirals everywhere. Spirals are in shells. They're in flowers. They're in millipedes. They're in the tail of your cat when it spirals up, right? When it curls up, you see spirals everywhere. Spirals are in our DNA. Galaxies form spiral shapes. There are fractal patterns everywhere. I also had to look this up as well. But when you think of lightning flashing across the sky, this is a fractal pattern, right? There are fractals in lightning. There's fractals in trees, in leaves, in coastlines. There are spots and stripes and patterns all through nature, everywhere you look. Patterns dominate nature. Patterns also dominate humans as well. I was listening to um, a podcast, and they talked about this uh, study they did um, a few years back, and they traced the mobility patterns of anonymous cell phone users. And they found that every time you get in your car, there's a 93% chance that we can predict where you're going. Right? You ever gotten in your car, and like Google Maps pops up, and it's like, on your way to work, this is the best route. Right? Google knows where you're going. Or when you get out of your car or get into your car from work, it knows you're going home. So it pops up and it says, are you going home? Google knows you because you are predictable. 
No matter how spontaneous you think you are, for the most part, we order the same three things from the same three restaurants. We look at our Netflix history. We look at all these things, and humans are surprisingly predictable. Now, I have another one this morning that may be a little shocking. Who has an Android phone in here? All right, we've got a few people. I, I used to have an Android phone myself. I switched to iPhone uh, when I got married. It's one of the sacrifices I had to made. But I had an Android phone um, earlier in my life, and uh, some technology experts got together, and they found the six most common password unlock screens. I'm going to put those up here. So these are the six most common password unlock screens. They found that 77% of unlock screens start in one of the corners. And about the same number, most of them start in the top right-hand corner. I thought, why is that? It's because most people are right-handed. That's the easiest place to find on your phone. So most people uh, have some sort of pattern that looks like this. Now, some of you guys are going to pull out your phone and change your password here pretty soon. But we are predictable, right? Even when you think about personality types, if you've ever taken the Myers-Briggs personality type, you'll find that there are 16. And everyone on the planet more or less falls into one of these 16 personality types. And this is one that was, like, shocking to me. I don't even know how it works. I'm not a science person. But genetically speaking, you are 99.9% identical to the people around you. And in fact, our differences are magnified just in that 0.01%, but we are 99.9% identical to the people around us. Look to someone around you and say, we're not so different, you and I. (laughs) So whether it's mathematics or whether it's nature or whether it's in real life, there are powerful patterns that influence us in our life. There are powerful patterns that influence the world. They control, they direct, they influence everything that we do. And if you were here last week, uh, you would have heard the passage in Romans chapter uh, 12, verse 2, that says uh, that we should not conform to the what of the world? Pattern of the world. But be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Spiritually speaking, the world has a pattern. And most of our daily lives fall into these patterns without us even being aware that they're there. I've entitled my message this morning, Three Reasons We Resist Community. And this morning I want to talk about three reasons that you and I resist community and how to overcome those. Because the truth is there are powerful patterns in your life and in my life that lead us away from the things that God would have for us. And oftentimes, when you think about the repeated problems that you have in your relationships, or the repeated struggles you have in your finances, or when you think about the repeated addictions and bad habits that you get into in your life, or the repeated cycles of negative thinking that you get into in life, often you are so focused on that thing that you miss the pattern that's in your life. You miss the pattern that's causing that thing, and yet they're there. Paul says that there's a pattern in your life. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about some of these patterns that are shaping us day in and day out, week in and week out. And I want to talk about how they sabotage you in your life without even really realizing it. And then I want to talk about how Jesus comes in and becomes the hero for us. So this morning, if you wouldn't mind turning back to Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 3. We're just going to read uh, verse 3 here for now. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, 
but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So Paul says that there's a pattern happening here. And it's a pattern that's true for you. It's a pattern that's true for me. It's a pattern that's true for all the world around. And that first pattern this morning is this, the pattern of incongruence. You and I are stuck in a pattern of incongruence. You say, Pastor James, I have no idea what incongruence means. Let me tell you this morning. Incongruence is sort of a psychology term, but at its very core, it means that there's a gap between who you think you are and who you actually are. There's a gap between how you think that you act and behave and how you actually act and behave. Paul says that there's a gap. We are horrible at seeing ourselves clearly. Paul says, no one among you should think of himself or herself more highly than he ought to think. I heard a quote recently that says, we judge others by their worst examples and ourselves by our best intentions. And I think that's totally true in all of our lives. So Paul is saying that, that, that we think of ourselves often in a better light than we actually are. Jesus says something very similar. He says, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. I love it when Jesus gets crunk. Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. You see, you have a unique disadvantage in understanding yourself. And do you know what that disadvantage is? You are you. I I was reading a study uh, here as I was prepping for this sermon, and it came out in Atlantic Magazine, and it was entitled, I love this title, You Don't Know Yourself As Well As You Think You Do. And in this uh, study, they interviewed thousands of people in the workplace, and they found that your coworkers are better at identifying how your personality connects to your job performance than you are. So they went into the study and they found that we all have a need to convince everyone, most of all ourselves, that we are intelligent, that we're creative, that we're magnanimous, that we're generous, that we're just, that we're kind. We want to convince everyone that we reflect these values. But in the study, as they began to interview people and interview their coworkers, they found that we consistently overestimate our intelligence. And in fact, I'm sad to say, men did this worse than women, but women still did it as well. We also consistently overestimate our generosity. And in fact, this is surprising. People underestimated their bias that they have toward people who are different than themselves. And in fact, they found the more objective you think you are, the more prone to bias you are. The article goes on to say this, and I'll I'll quote it directly. It says, anytime a trait is easy to observe or hard hard to admit, you need other people to hold up a mirror for you. Romantic partners and close friends might be uh, more informed because they've observed you more, but they can also have blurrier vision because they chose you and often share that pesky desire to see you positively. And this is the line that I love. You need people who are motivated to see you accurately. This isn't even a Christian article. So there are things in our lives that are easily observable by those around us, but hard to see in ourselves. 
That's the pattern of incongruence, right? There's this disparity between how great I think I am and how I often come across to others. So I want you to raise your hand this morning. I want you to raise your hand. Don't get nervous. Some people are raising their hand. I don't, don't get nervous. If you've ever met someone who thought that they were the funniest person in the world, but they actually weren't that funny. Okay. I preempted my wife. I said, don't raise your hand this morning because I think I'm pretty funny. Um, But we all know those people, right? We all know people who seem to think they're better at something than they actually are. And yet this morning, we all have blind spots. We all have blind spots in our lives. And Paul's really pulling this up because the Apostle Paul knew about his blind spots more than anyone else. Right? As he got older, as he began to reflect on his life, he became very aware of his blind spots. There was a time in Paul's life when he thought he was the most spiritually mature person in the room. But later on in life, Paul would say that he was a blasphemer. There was a time in Paul's life when he thought he was on the right track with God, that his life was pleasing to God, that everything he was doing was right. When literally Jesus had to come and strike him with physical blindness to help him see his spiritual blindness. We all have these blind spots. And so the question is, what blind spots do you have in your life that you have no idea are there? That's the problem, right? You don't know what you don't know. And I looked this up, and I don't know all the science behind it, but apparently in your eyes, the, the, the term blind spot comes from a part of your eye in which you literally can't see anything. It's blocked by something. I don't know the cornea. You can look it up yourself. But you can actually go home, go online, type in, find my blind spot, and you can do a test to find where your blind spot is. And so it'll have like a dot on the computer screen. You lean in a little bit, and it's amazing. The dot disappears. You know that it's there, but then it disappears. And I wonder this morning, what part of our lives is in that blind spot? We all have this pattern of incongruence. And oftentimes we see the results of the pattern, like we see the addiction or we see the problems in our relationships, but we don't see the pattern that's causing them. Look back at verse 4, and let's look into the next one. It says, For as in one body we have many members... And the members do not have all the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So not only are we stuck in a pattern of incongruence, we're stuck in a pattern of independence. Right? And it kind of makes sense, right? If you have this pattern of incongruence, if you're prone to thinking that you are better than you think you are, if I'm prone to thinking I'm better than I actually am, then that's going to lead to this pattern of independence. Right? We don't want to have anyone, we don't want anyone to have any real authority over our lives or any real input into our decisions. And I think we've seen this ever since the beginning. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, they've been running away from dependency on God. And we continue to run away from dependency on God and a healthy dependency on the people and the church around us. So we're stuck in this pattern. But guess what? Your pattern of incongruence mixed in together with your pattern of independence is a powder keg. As Pastor John would say, it's a dumpster fire waiting to happen. 
I remember a few years ago, I had a job uh, in the medical center, and I remember I, I was helping out more at the church. I was in the process of moving, um, and uh, I got offered a position at work, a position that had more prestige, uh, that paid a little bit more money, but was also more stressful. It was more uh, difficult, but I wanted that job, right? But I was like, I did what any good Christian would do. I asked uh, the people around me, I said, hey, do you think I should take this job? And they almost unanimously said, you know what, sounds like you got a lot going on in your life. I don't think that this job would be good for you. I don't think that you could t- should take the position. So you know exactly what I did? Took the position. And I spent the next six months spiraling down in sort of a a depression and in stress. I had to go to the doctor multiple times because I was like throwing up. It was a crazy time in my life. And it took about six months for me to recognize that this position was not for me. And yet we all have this independent streak in our life. We all have this pattern of independence where we don't want to listen to the advice and the counsel of others. I heard a really good quote by a German pastor, and he said, Nobody can have unity on his or her own. You cannot be married on your own. There is no such thing as an independent believer. You cannot have unity by belonging nowhere. And I love how Paul uses this analogy of a body, right? He says, We're like a body. When you join into the Christian faith, you join into the body of Christ, which is the church. And I love how he uses that analogy because I have this picture, right? Even if you think that you're the brain of this operation, right? I'm the brains of this operation. I'm smart. I'm intelligent. Or maybe you think you're the muscle of this operation. Or maybe you think you're the heart of this operation, right? I've I've got compassion in my heart. I'm humble. I'm the heart of this operation. A brain without a body is useless, right? A heart without a body is useless, A hand without a body is useless and weird and disgusting. But we need the body in order to operate fully. That's what Paul is saying. So when you join into his body, you have to give up a little bit of that independent streak that we have in us. Let's look at verse 6 and look at our last one this morning. It says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. A prophecy in proportion to our faith if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So Paul reveals the last pattern that we have in our lives, and that's the pattern of indifference. This pattern of indifference to the needs of those around us. I think it makes sense that if you have a pattern of incongruence, you think you're better than you are, which we all fall prone to. And I think that if you have a pattern of independence, I don't need other people, then it's naturally going to lead you into the pattern of indifference. Right? I think the very fact that Paul has to remind us to use our gifts, to use our abilities, to use our resources to serve other people is a reminder that we're not naturally inclined to do that. We're not naturally inclined. It's not in our instincts. 
quick story to sort of illustrate the point. I remember a few years ago, I took a, it was like a first aid emergency preparedness class or something like that. I didn't have to do it for work. I just wanted to do it because uh, I'm like that. And so I was really excited about doing it. But when I got there, I found that it was a four and a half hour class with about a 25 minute lunch break. And so I was really, really excited at the end to do the CPR uh, dummy, but it was a semi-interesting class. But the most interesting part of the class was when they talked about how in an emergency, you have to think differently. Right? Most people in an emergency, maybe there's a fire or someone has a stroke or heart attack or there's an active shooter or something like that. Most people in an emergency freeze. Right? They freeze. We don't know what to do. We're paralyzed. We have no idea what we're supposed to do. But in the training, they trained you to stop and evaluate. Right? You've got to evaluate your options. You've got to think about, can we get out of here? Do we have to stay in place? Do we have access to a cell phone? What's the best plan for us to do? So you have to stop and evaluate. And then after that, you have to respond. You have to act. Right? So you have to make the best decision that you can make with the information that you have. And so I just learned that a little bit in a few-hour class. But I know that first responders, people like policemen, people like firemen, the reason that they're heroes is that they're trained to the T on how to respond in emergencies. And I think that us in the Christian life, I think we have a lot to learn from first responders because the truth is, and I'm sure you cannot deny this, that most of your life is spent busy, stressful, hectic. Right? Most of our life is spent in a state of emergency, whether it's in our marriage, whether it's in our finances, whether it's in our family. And in fact, there will never be a time in your life, Pastor James getting real today, there will never be a time in your life in which there's not some emergency happening somewhere. Whether it's at work, whether it's with your extended family, whether it's in your marriage, there's always an emergency. And yet I think this morning, Paul is saying, that we are called to be first responders in the lives of those around us. To see their lives as important in regard to our own. And yet this cuts against the very heart of what it means to have this pattern of indifference. Paul says you have gifts of generosity and service. Well, guess what? There's someone around you in desperate need of that very gift or service. And it works the other way too, right? You've got something going on in your life and it's terrible and you've got tragedy. You've got things going on. There's someone around you who has the gift, who has the resource, who has the time to help you. That's how it's supposed to work according to Paul. Amidst this pattern of indifference, we are called to be first responders. And yet this morning, we're so stuck often in this pattern of indifference. But here's the problem. You say, Pastor James, there's a lot of problems here this morning. There, there are, but here's the problem. Just because you know that you have the pattern of incongruence, just because you know that you have the pattern of uh, independence or indifference, just because you know it, doesn't mean you know how it's playing out in your life. And it certainly doesn't mean that you can overcome it on your own. The same sins that you fall into, the same bad habits that you fall into, the same state of mind, the same depression that you fall into, you're the one who got you there. You cannot get yourself out. So what's the solution? I think that's when Jesus comes in and becomes the hero. 2,000 years ago, Jesus prayed a prayer. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying to the Father while he's on earth. 
He says, I'm not praying only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. So that's us. We're who he is talking about. He says, I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. So Jesus prayed that you and I would be as close to each other as God the Son is to God the Father. Did you hear that? Jesus prayed that you and I would be as close to each other as God the Son is to God the Father. And do you see the solution? Jesus breaks the chains of our patterns by uniting us in community. That is the answer to the patterns in our lives. When I'm in close community with other Christians who love me, I break my pattern of incongruence. You know why? Because when I get in smaller groups of people who know me and I give them the permission to speak into my life, they can point out my blind spots. And when I'm in a Christian community, close Christian community, with people who love me, my destructive pattern of independence is broken. Because I've given other people the permission to give me advice and counsel me in life. And lastly, when I'm in Christian community with people who love me, my destructive pattern of independence is broken. Because I've given people the permission to advise me and I've seen myself as a first responder in their life. I love this gathering. I love that we have 170 people in here. I love that we get to worship together. But you cannot know 170 people. And 170 people cannot know you and I to the extent that we need to be known. That's where smaller community comes in. We at White Oak want to have the answer. We want to be a part of the answer to Jesus' prayer that we would be one. And so the way that we've tried to do that at our church is we formed community groups. And I know that when I start talking about community groups, some of you, this is your time to hop off. This is your time to tune out, to think about what's happening next, because I'm never going to get in a group. And if that's you this morning, stick with me. This is for every single person in here. I want to share my heart this morning on why I think community groups have the power to break patterns in your life. So this morning, as we draw to a close, I want to share briefly just sort of our vision for groups in the fall semester. And our vision is that every single member of our church and everyone who attends would join into smaller community. That's our vision this fall. I believe that there's no better place to get into the trenches of the Christian life than to get side by side with people who know you, who know your struggles, who know your sins, who know your doubts, who knows your emotional cycles, people who know you well and who can speak into your life. And I know you have objections. I'm busy. I can't devote more time to something else. And I hear that. I get that. But I believe that if Jesus were standing right here today, he would ask you, what's going to be more beneficial in your life? A 
hundred shallow relationships and a hundred shallow hobbies or a weekly rhythm of getting together with a few people for prayer and encouragement. Jesus has called us into deep community. I want to paint a picture for you this morning. I want to paint a picture for what it might look like for you to join and step into a community group. Let's say you join a midweek group. All right, so you joined a midweek group. It meets once a week, maybe on a Wednesday night. You drive to the home of a person in our church. You get there 6.30, maybe 6.40 because you're a little late, right? But you still want to come. You knock on the door and it opens and you're warmly welcomed by a few friends. And the smell of food hits you. Right? The smell of food hits you and you walk in and you gather around the table to share a meal together. And then each person begins to share a little bit about their week. And, and, and you've had a hard week, and so you share about what's happening in your week. And you go on a little bit longer than you expected to, but it's just been such a hard week. And you share that, and people around the table encourage you. Someone offers to pray for you right then and there. And then you go around, and you hear other people, and they uh, talk about their weeks. And you're able to encourage them, because you went through that very thing just two weeks ago, and you can encourage them. And then the leader opens up with a short time of encouragement, a time of prayer and worship. You end with some small talk, laughter, fellowship, and then you go home. Tell me that would not be a refreshing rhythm in your crazy, hectic life. Jesus has called us into deep community. And if we want to break the patterns in our lives, if we want to break the things that constantly pull us away from God, we have to unite into community. Our sign-ups for community groups are live. You know, you can sign up at whiteoakchurch.net. We encourage every single person to join in community some way, somehow. I wanted to end with this quote uh, by someone that we're all familiar with, uh, Albert Einstein. He was not a believer by any means, but I think he understood exactly what I'm talking about. He said, without changing our pattern of thought, we will not be able to solve the problems we created with our current patterns of thought. Patterns are often chains that need to be broken, and community is the means by which God breaks the change. I truly believe that you and I are better together, that God calls us to live our life in close community. So as we close, that's my appeal to you as a pastor, as your pastor. Join with community. Join us in community. I believe there's no better next step you can take in your life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for your word, which is powerful in our lives. You've spoken a better word than the patterns that we so often fall into. Lord, I pray that you would be with us and to help us. I've made my appeal to this church, Lord, that they would join in community. And I pray, Lord, that we might receive that with joy. 
see the church as a gift to us, a gift to our crazy, hectic, busy lives. I pray that you would help us to incorporate a rhythm in our life of once a week, gathering together for prayer and fellowship. Bless these people, Lord. Bless them by the power of your Holy Spirit. Where there's the sick, heal them. Where those in emotional states of distress, lift us up. Help us to put all our eyes on Jesus Christ. And it's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.